When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way, and Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe, on your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. We continue and roll on with uh, Light the Tower here on the Horn. Again, Jeff Howell will be back in on Monday as he's finishing up some uh, uh, Horns 24-7 business uh, today. So, uh, Craig Way with you as always. And our uh, producer, Cameron Parker, alongside as well. Our thanks again. Uh, Mac Brown join us in hour number one as we go to the cleanup of hour number one on the Specs text line at 337-3776. And a lot of folks uh, really enjoyed the conversation with Mac. Uh, so thanks to our dub and Beaver Lance Jason and uh, several others. Uh, somebody said I'd run through a wall <laughs> for Mac. Uh, uh, there, here's somebody else put up uh, another uh, uh, Coach Royal quote. If worms carried pistols, birds wouldn't eat them. DKR on why he ran the score up on rice one time. Uh, so anyway, somebody else said miss you, Coach, and heard a story about DKR playing golf with Larry Gatlin, who had a bad shot. And got real angry. DKR said, you're not good enough to get mad at bad shots. <laughs> that's true. That's that, Hey, that's the philosophy as I, I've taken. One day I played when I was on vacation. I played a really nice golf course. And I actually hit the ball pretty decent for the first time, really playing a competitive round of golf in two years. And I was using a set of clubs that I'd never hit before. And I actually hit pretty well, but I couldn't putt to save my life. And uh, my short game wasn't very good, but a couple of things that, that, that he rode pretty quickly off of that when you don't play. But, you know, I hit one, and it was going the wrong way. Oh, and then I thought, I'm not going to get mad about this. My game yeah. doesn't – I don't deserve to get mad about about my game, about that kind of stuff. So, anyway, I understand that. Where did you get to play at? I played Sea Trail okay. uh, down there right near Sunset Beach. And uh, they have three courses there, and they're really nice. The, I played them all – uh, multiple times, the Reese Jones course, the Dan Maples course, and the Willard Bird course. And I played the Bird course, and uh, that was good. I, I, sometimes I measure about how, how well my round of golf is, about how many golf balls I lose. Mm-hmm. I only lost two, and it was on the okay. same hole. It was a par five, and I hit a really good tee shot. And the second one, trying to reach, get uh, not reach the green in two, but just trying to get in position. But there's a little pond, and I, and it trickled in. So then I took a drop out scuffed my chip toward uh, up and then chipped back across the green and went back in the water. Oh, man. I took a triple bogey eight. That's the worst feeling in the world. (laughs) Up in and down again again. Uh, Thank you, CB. It's a great interview. Enjoyed that. Lots of folks did uh, as well. Appreciate that. And if you missed it, you can catch it uh, on the podcast page at hornfm.com. I don't know if he's a golfer or if he has played that much, but our next guest I know knows baseball. 
He's our baseball insider, of course. Uh, so many years in the bigs, uh, you know, and uh, World Series uh, rings to to prove it as well. Uh, and that's Gene Watson, who joins us right now on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline. I've never asked you this. Have you, have you ever played a round of golf? So I played high school golf at Temple High School. Did you really? Um, I did, yeah. I played uh, through my senior year. I was never good, but I played because I like to play. Yeah. Uh, but once you get into baseball, it's kind of, you know, uh, it, your time is never of your own. There's always another player, another game, another uh, something to be working on. But but if you have – I have a funny story for you if you want to hear it. Sure. So Ryan Goins, who retired from the major leagues, who I signed with the Royals, lives in the Austin area. He now works for us in Omaha called me in January. He said, hey, I'm going to retire. I want to take you out to play a round of golf uh, as a present for everything you've done for my career. And I said, look, man, I, I've played five times in 25 years. It's not going to be pretty. And we were playing the UT golf course. Unbelievable course, as everybody knows. Sure. And I said, look, I'll give you we'll – play, we'll play nine holes. I'll give you about ten shots where you say, hey, man, that, that's pretty good. And so we get to eight, and, and he, he said, he goes – Dude, if you if you practice at all, you'd be an okay golfer. And so here comes a group of major league ex major league players in two golf carts with country music singer Brett Young. Okay. And he goes, Hey, they go, Hey, you guys are gonna jump in with us. And I, I leaned over to Ryan and said, Ryan, I'm not playing. And one of the guys I didn't know said, Hey man, you're playing. <laughs> and you know how you get that adrenaline, that competitive spirit in you to yeah. keep going. So so for the next seven holes, I played like the greatest round of my life. And, and Ryan comes over after about four holes and he goes, Brett Young shows up and you turn into Tiger Woods. <laughs> yeah, so sure. it, it was a, it was a wonderful day and a great course. And I played a week later and, and realized how bad I was and I haven't played since. Well, I, I, I apologize for being a little delayed getting to you as we had that conversation going with Mac Brown. And I know you're, you you got to know Mac really, really well over the years. And I know you have a lot of admiration and respect for Mac as well. Oh, I love Mac. Mac, we actually had a mutual friend, one of my mentors. People don't know Mac is a big baseball fan and a huge New York Yankees fan. Because a Yankee legend by the name of Clyde King, uh, who is from North Carolina, was good friends with Mac. And when Mac got the Texas job, I, I would basically drive Clyde to all of the games in spring training in the late 90s. And he calls me. He goes, hey, a good friend of mine got the Texas job. And I'll never forget Fan Appreciation Day. Tyler's like five years old. And we, we go up to Fan Appreciation Day. And I said, Coach Brown, I said, Clyde King's a really good friend of mine, a mentor of mine, and, and Mac walked us through. He couldn't have been any kinder, and, you know, we've had a relationship ever since, and, and I just I love him so much, and I'll never forgive you for making me following him on this radio show. <laughs> you, you know, uh, I, I, Clyde King, now tell me if I'm wrong on this. You know, I love the history of the game. If I remember correctly, Clyde King was the manager of the San Francisco Giant team that won the National League West in 1971. The Pirates beat him in the NLCS and went on to win the World Series that year over the over the Orioles. But the Giants won that National League West division by one game over the team I root for. And if I remember correctly, Clyde King was the manager of that Giants team. That is correct. And he was such, I mean, like, one of the great blessings of my life is we would stay at the Bay Harbor Radisson, which George Steinbrenner owned. And so, you know, you go down to the restaurant, you go into the lobby, and there's just Yankee greats everywhere. And 
I happened to run into Clyde King in the lobby, and he saw my bag. I was with the Padres, and he said, young man, are you going to the Yankee game today? And I said, yes, sir, I am. I had no idea who it was. And he goes, would you mind if I ride with you? And I basically became Clyde King's driver for that spring. And just to have that gift of its wisdom and experience and the rides to and from the ballpark of the do's and don'ts, it was truly one of the greatest gifts of my career. And I, I, I loved Clyde so much, and he meant so much to my career and my life. And uh, I miss him dearly. Uh, uh, by the way, this is something that will make you make you and I both feel a little bit older. Our, our man CB on the Specs text line, uh, you know, he, he listened to the interview with Mac, and he he added a Coach Royal quote that said, uh, "Here was the quote: Breaks balance out, the sun don't shine on the on the same old dog's rear end every day." There was that, and there were some other ones. But I mentioned I'd made a reference to the time when Mac and I were doing his show in the conference room. I think you came over one time we were doing that, and. He and it was Halloween weekend, and he had this alien mask on. So CB has a picture of it. He took a screenshot of it because because uh, it was live on Longhorn Network at the time, as well. And and there's me and Max sitting at a table, and uh, it's got a you know the background mural of DKR, and he's wearing the the alien mask. And then beneath it, this is how I know how old this picture is. It's on the, on the ESPN crawl on Longhorn Network at the bottom. It has World Series, Cardinals, Red Sox. Gino, that's two thousand four. Wow! Is that that that's that's wow. how long ago that is? That's two thousand four. Wow. Were you still with the Marlins in 04? Because you were with them when they won the World Series in 03. I was. Yeah, I was. I, I left in August of '06 when Dayton got the job in Kansas City. Um, Craig, you know the greatest memory I will never forget and I've got goosebumps talking about thinking about it right now but I will never forget and this has resonated with me uh, as a father of an athlete as a, a one that's around athletes every day you know seeing our minor league system meeting players basically everywhere <clears throat> I will never forget the night they won the national championship in LA when they beat USC and Mac Brown said something to the team, and I know you were there, and I'll never, I got goosebumps talking about it. Mac Brown said to the players in that room that night, don't let this be the greatest night of your life. Yeah. And that just resonated so much with me as to like, this is just such a small chapter of our lives and everything we do, and what I do, and what you do, what these student athletes do. And for him to have that perspective in that moment and really be, that type of leader, father figure, you know, coach for life, to say that in that moment just truly speaks to where he places the game of college football in, in, in people's lives. And I just thought it was unbelievable that he said that that night. Mm, no doubt about it. Gene Watson joining us right now talking Major League Baseball. Okay, uh, I'll put the question to you similar to what I put to Cameron. I asked Cameron what – uh, what did he like most about the figurative first half of the major league season? Let me ask you, what what uh, either impressed you the most or surprised you, or both? Uh, what what impressed you the most about the first half of the major league season, and what surprised you the most? What impressed me the most is how great the rule changes have been, how um, it's just transitioned into just a, such a, a much better product. The game is faster Television viewing is at an all-time high. Attendance is at an all-time high. Uh, the style of play, you look at what Luisa Rise is doing in Miami, 
pushing 400. You look at the, the individual players and the accomplishments that they're having. Uh, I think it's just a better product. And, and for them to – and it came under great criticism when they started testing these things in the minor leagues and – people just rolled their eyes that this isn't going to work and you're changing a hundred years of history. And why would we do this to just how easy it transitioned and the players transitioned and how great of the product it is right now. And, and I think that's been the biggest thing. Uh, the biggest surprise has been the Cincinnati Reds and it is an unbelievable story. I, I, their pitching coach, Derek Johnson is a very good friend of mine and I remember being with them last year in Cincinnati and taking them to Denver and us going to dinner after a, a game on a Saturday afternoon in Denver and just how low they were as an organization. And to add a Matt McClain and to add a Yuri Dela Cruz and to add that young pitching and Andrew Abbott and what he has done to that organization and that city and that ballpark. I was there in May, and they were struggling, and they bring up Yuri Dela Cruz They've gone crazy ever since. It's standing room only, and that's how fast the switch can flip in this game. And uh, they've just been a remarkable story, and it's going to be so much fun to watch them in the second half. Um, MLB.com has uh, – they do – and you're well aware of this. For folks who don't know, they do an MVP award poll, and they do it at different points of the season. And they have 47 reporters and analysts who participate in this. And the players receive votes uh, with based on points on a scale from five points for a first-place vote, four for a second-place vote, three for a third-place, two for a fourth-place, and one point for a fifth-place vote. So you vote five, four, three, two, one. 47 people balloted, Gino. And so this, this vote that just came, out, it came down this morning, uh, for American League MVP, Shohei Ohtani. For National League MVP, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Now, uh, it's not just that those two guys have been in the poll picked to win the MVP. Both, both were unanimous selections. Out of 47 people balloting, they were both unanimous choices. Uh, the American League had uh, Luis Robert Jr. of the White Sox in the two spot. Uh, Wander Franco of the Rays got the third most votes. Yandy Diaz of the Rays got the fourth most. Anadolis Garcia of the Rangers got the fifth most MVP votes in his balloting. Ronald Acuna Jr., as I mentioned, received all 47 first place votes for the National League MVP. Mookie Betts of the Dodgers, number two. Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks, third. Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers, fourth. Luis Arias of the Marlins, fifth. What's your take on that? First of all, do you agree with that? Do you think that uh, that those two guys, these two unanimous favorites, according to this latest MVP poll, uh, right now, in in your estimation, are the American and National League most valuable players? One hundred percent, Craig. And I think with some separation, I, I think what they bring to the team and. People like to make the debate on an MVP uh, as if like the team has to win. And that's not how it works. But for me, that's not how it works because the player doesn't get to choose uh, ownership's commitment to what they're going to spend payroll wise. The player doesn't get to choose how the, the major league team is constructed. Uh, and there's a lot of criticism about Shohei and Mike and have never won and all of those things. But 
the players don't get to decide. And, and I think with both Ronald and Shohei, not only are they the MVP uh, favorites, but there's some separation with that. Now, could Louisa rise, push 400 in the second half with the balanced schedule? Absolutely. And I think as you get into August and September, if he's pushing 400, I think now it, he becomes, because that's such a historical mark, uh, now he becomes, you know, he'll, he'll narrow the gap. But <clears throat> because I lived it every day, I don't think people truly understand what Shohei Otani is all about from a preparation standpoint on the mound, from a preparation standpoint at the plate, what that time involves at the major league level, the life you have to live outside the ballpark, uh, the focus that you have to have every minute of every day. And so they are truly two uh, of the great players in baseball and, and rightfully where they need to be in the, in the MVP voting. Well, and I think the other thing, uh, and this probably stands up exactly to what you're talking about. In 1987, Andre Dawson hits 49 home runs. He drives in 137 runs. He bats uh, 287. He wins the National League Most Valuable Player Award. He wins the National League Most Valuable Player Award in 1987 for those numbers. The Chicago Cubs, the team for which he played, finished in dead last place in the National League East. They were 76 and 85. Keith Moreland knows he played on that team, and it was a, Hawk was his teammate there. But that's an example of what you're talking about. Here's an MVP on a last place team. And for folks who say, well, how can that be? Because, you know, they're 18 and a half behind, they'd be 30 and a half behind, you know, or, or, or more or something like that if they didn't have Andre Dawson on that team. Well, first of all, I'm a lifelong Cub fan. I remember that team. I was I was fortunate enough to work with Andre in Miami, and one of the greatest nights of my life was spent with him in 2003 after Game Four of the World Series. Um, just, it's an incredible story. But again, um, it's almost harder to do something like that because you don't have the protection around you to put those type of number numbers up. And as your team begins to go south, the focus, the, the, the personal pride and focus that you have to bring to the ballpark every day to perform at that level when your team is not good makes it even more impressive as to what he accomplished. No, no question. By the way, for folks who are wanting to know, uh, that year, 1987, a 33-year-old Keith Moreland hit uh, 266 with 27 homers and 88 runs batted in. So Zong did his part, too. <laughs> he on that uh, on that eighty seven Cubs team visiting with Gene Watson here. Uh, what about Acuna uh, and uh, what we're obviously seeing? And, and sure enough, uh, uh, our texter Jeff Mudd on the Specs text line texted something I was going to get to about this. Uh, Acuna ha- has that opportunity to be the first ever forty eighty guy in the National League. He's actually on a a pace to hit 38 home runs and steal 75 bases. There's never been a 30-70 guy in Major League history, but there are those who feel he could could be on track for a 40-80 year, Acuna. He's incredible, and this is, a, this is a sticky one for me because we finished second in the signing of him, and, uh, and we actually thought we had him done, and Atlanta uh, got him uh, signed before we could finish the deal, but – just such a tremendous talent. His plate discipline, I mean, he's got as many walks as, as strikeouts as he does. 
the the power. He's so core strong for his size, and and you know in in watching a lot of young players play the game, they try to take uh, the approach of Acuna, the the approach of Altuve. Those guys are absolutely core strong. They're born with their core strength, and that's uh, what he has. And and to be able to do what he does in that lineup, the, the plate discipline that he shows, the ability to steal bases like he has, 41 stolen bases. I mean, he is the absolute complete player. And what's even uh, more impressive about him is how much fun he has playing the game. And um, he is certainly the catalyst of that ball club, and they're the best team in baseball right now, and it's going to be a, a great story down the stretch. Okay, Gino, uh, coming up on trade deadline, and I know, you, you know, obviously they're uh, – you know, who knows about what could happen. But the most talked about question is, uh, might the Angels be willing to deal Shohei Otani? Now, as inconceivable, to use our term, uh, as that might seem to some, and and I know they got into that conversation during the All-Star game about, do you trade a guy of that unbelievably, uh, uh, unbelievable immense talent when you could have two players or three players or whatever to come out of that to do that. And, and, and I mean, that's the rub for teams like the Angels. And I know since you were with the Angels uh, for a brief time, you know obviously how special he is and the management, what they think of him as well. But that, those are the kind of evaluative things they have to go through, right, is if, if they even uh, seriously entertain trading Otani about what they could get in return and how they might build it from there as opposed to what he means to the franchise, to the city, to their fan base? No question. And and there's two trains of thought with this. One is, uh, well, the biggest thing for me is how are they going to come out of the break? 44% of their payroll is on the I.L. right now. Mike Trout's out. Anthony Rendon is out. Brandon Drury is out, obviously. I mean, that that's a big hit uh, to that lineup and to that team. Uh, I do believe you have to do the work on it. Even if you know in the back of your mind uh, this is not something we're going to do, I think you have to do the work on it. And as it gets into that 72, 96-hour window, I do think you have a responsibility to make a presentation to ownership and say, look, I know you don't want to do this, but this is really where we're at. I think you have to have discrete conversations with other clubs. Um, and and then there's two trains of thought. There are the teams that would trade for him right now, knowing if we bring him in, we're never letting him go. We're going to um, work a contract extension of monumental proportion. Uh, and then there's teams that might be looking at it going, hey, we've got no chance of signing him this winter, but let's take a shot. Let's make a run at getting him for the rest of the year. You've got, obviously, a top-of-the-rotation starter and a middle-of-the-order run-producing bat. And so I think there's two trains of thought as to what the market could be for Shohei. And so Perry Manassian's got one of the more difficult uh, jobs in the game right now in measuring um, how his team comes out of the break. And as it falls closer to the deadline, and I've been in many circumstances over 34 years where – we're not trading him, we're not trading him, we're not trading him, we're not trading him. And then three days before, the phone rings and it's an offer you just can't refuse and you make the trade. And so I think you always have to do the work. You all, you assume nothing in the market. You assume nothing in how ownership abuses the situation. 
you do the work and you have yourself prepared as it leads up to the deadline. And it's certainly a difficult decision, but as you look over time, one, three, five, ten years down the road, the game just keeps going. And if you can do what's best for your organization and they can get a large package that impacts that organization with guys like Neto and Logan O'Hoppy and all those young pitchers they've got coming, it would certainly make sense for them to do it. Hey, I asked you a little over a month ago, I said, uh, fact or fiction, the American League Central Champion will be at or below 500. And you said, I think they will be above 500, but maybe just barely. Here's Cleveland at 45 and 45. You still feel good about that, that it'll finish just a little above 500, whoever wins that American League Central? 84 to 86 will probably get it done, I think. Okay. Uh, just a little bit above. And it's it's where, um, where the digression is going to lie with a lot of clubs is, is you've, got, you've got five teams within five games in the American League. You've got six teams within eight games in the National League. And really about seven to ten days to see how teams come out of the gate, they're rested, uh, guys that had nagging injuries have had a chance to catch their breath. So how teams come out of the gate is going to be big. And then you've got the teams that are sitting there, you know, four to six out of the wild card going, ah, do we really have a chance or should we trade this starter? Should we trade this bullpen? Tonight? Should we trade this bat to, to give us a better opportunity, maybe take one step back to go two steps forward in 24 and 25. So, You've got, and that's what the schedule has done. Another great thing of what this schedule has done is it's given teams, uh, it's made teams make very harsh decisions to their fan base as to, hey, we're going to keep pushing and we're going to add, or we're going to take a step back to go two steps forward next year, knowing that we really don't compete uh, with the Tampas, with the Atlantas, with the LAs, with the, you know, those really, really upper level teams. And so, that's a decision that each organization is going to have to make moving forward and how they come out of the gate in the next five to seven, eight games is going to be uh, really, really important to those decisions. Final thing here, uh, I'm going to ask for your call on this. Which is the surest bet to win its division? In the American League East, Tampa Bay is a two-game lead on the Orioles, and the Jays are seven back, Yankees eight back, Red Sox nine back, five above 500. They'd be in first place by five games in the Central if they were there. In the Central, the Guardians are up a half game on Minnesota, right at that 500 mark. In the West, the Rangers lead the Astros by two, the Mariners by six, the Angels by seven. In the National League East, the Braves are up eight and a half on the Marlins, even though the Marlins are 14 games above 500 in a good story. The Reds are up a game on the Brewers and seven on the Cubs in the Central. The Dodgers and Diamondbacks in a virtual tie in the West with the Giants two and a half back. Of those six teams, which is the safest bet to win its division? I would say the Braves. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say the Braves are, you know, it's, it's such a wide gap and they're such a talented team. They are so incredibly talented. Um, You know, the Rangers and Astros in Seattle, it's going to be a dogfight to the very end because Texas has the best system and one of the best systems in baseball. So they can either use the system uh, with an Owen White, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr.'s uh, brother is in double A, tremendous prospect. They can use their system to add uh, either internally to their major league team or outside in trade. So, uh, that, but those three teams, Seattle's pitching is so good. 
I think that those three teams, that's going to be a dogfight down to the last week. I think Baltimore is a tremendously talented team. I think they're going to make moves into the deadline. They've got a very, very good system. So I wouldn't be surprised if that Tampa-Baltimore uh, situation separates itself a little bit from the rest of the division. And, and pay attention to Milwaukee. They've got, they've got a very good team. They, they haven't really hit on all cylinders other than the week I saw them in, in April in Seattle and L.A., uh, they still have that experience, and they've got a tremendous manager. Cincinnati's been a great story. They've got a very good system. It'll be interesting to see how those two play out. <clears throat> and and the West, I mean, and as much as the Dodgers have that two-and-a-half-game cushion and Arizona's had a wonderful story, I just have a hard time believing that San Diego's not going to pull back into this thing. They are so ultra-talented. Uh, A.J. Preller works extremely hard to improve that team. And I just think that that's going to be a four-team race down to the end in September and October. All right. Uh, Gino, I appreciate it. Is Melanie tired of your cooking yet? It's been awful, Craig. It's, <laughs> it's been bad. It's, been, it's, just, it's just terrible. I've burnt grilled cheeses. I've... <laughs> Yeah, we resorted to biscuits and and uh, and uh, jelly this morning, so okay. that's how bad it's gotten. Oh, uh, bless her heart! All right, tell her thinking about her and uh, stay on the mend, and and you hopefully you'll get better in the kitchen too. So that's a good thing. Uh, all right, all right, Chris. thanks. I'll see you around the corner. Okay, take care. <laughs> all right, that's Gene Watson, uh, our our MLB insider. We need a break. When we come back, uh, we'll have a Flex Thirty update and our longer notebook for this hour. When we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn. Flex ATX for the best high school sports coverage. Listen to the horn and go to flxatx.com. Flex 30 is brought to you by Brain Vault. Brain Vault is a revolutionary and patented mouth guard that has been proven to help reduce the risk of concussion. Visit brainvault.com and join the movement. All right, uh, time for a Flex 30 update and what we've done with it, obviously, is to preview, according to Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, the uh, districts and the area teams to watch. We've gone through all three of the 6A districts. We've gone through all of the 5A districts, the 4A districts yesterday, the 3A districts, and today the two Class 2A districts to wrap up the week. 13-2A Division One. Thorndale is certainly one to watch in there. Thrall, Hearn, of course, yes, MJ from Hearn would be happy to hear about that. They're picked to be a playoff team. But Flatonia is going to be the team to beat in that district. The Bulldogs uh, coming back off an 11-2 Sweet 16 appearance with five offensive and six defensive starts. Thorndale is picked second, by the way, uh, a team that uh, went to the second round of the playoffs last year with a 9-3 and three mark, and they got five starters back on the offense and three on the defensive side. Then it's Holland, Hearn, Thrall, Weimer, and Schulenberg the district preview, and the prediction of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. That is in 13-2A Division One. Then in Division Two, the smallest 11-man classification is 13-2A D2. Chilton has picked to win the district. We drove through Chilton the other day on the way back and saw that they're getting ready, fired up for the season. Of course, Chilton uh, last year uh, managed to go to the Sweet 16 and went 12-1. and one. They were unbeaten going into that. Granger is picked second. Remember, they also were a state quarterfinalist. Coach Brosh's team was a state quarterfinals last year. Uh, they've got uh, – they did lose some starters on the offensive side. So they only have three back on offense and three on the defensive side. But they do have Chase Edwards back at 
two-way player quarterback and linebacker. So Granger picks second, followed by Bremont, Milano, Iola, and Bartlett. There it is, according to Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, your district preview of the two two-way districts involving Central Texas Greater Austin Area Schools. Time now for our second hour, Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook. And on the recruiting front, we didn't even get a chance really to talk about it much uh, yesterday. It was only in passing, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, of course, the uh, commitment of Melvin Hills, the three-star defensive tackle, uh, you know, uh, uh, going uh, giving his commitment to it as well. So uh, he's from Lafayette, Louisiana. And by the way, down there in southwestern Louisiana, they do call it Lafayette. Lafayette is a college in Easton, Pennsylvania, um, in the town of Easton, uh, Pennsylvania. It's Lafayette. If you're down there in Acadiana, down there in the Cajun country, they will tell you that it is Lafayette. But anyway, he uh, chose the Longhorns over LSU, Auburn, and Ole Miss. Wanted to make sure we got that in there as well. We'll be back. But before we do that, hey, I didn't forget. Seventh caller right now. Caller number seven at 512-447-3776 to win a copy of Dave Campbell's 2023 Texas Football Magazine. 512-447-3776. Be caller number seven. We'll be back to wrap up Light the Tower on the Horn. Well, that's going to wrap up the show today. Oh, Bizarro Dale Dudley reminded me of something. We did, you know, the background thing happened so late in the day, and it, it totally took my memory away from what we were going to do. We're going to do this on Monday, Cameron Parker, the I've Been Everywhere song, the uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Cash song, whatever. We're going we're gonna to do that and play that and count how many of the okay. places that I have been to out of that. So, bizarro, Dale Dudley? Yes. We'll get to it. And, um, yeah, this is like you got a lot going on right now. <laughs> True words never spoken, my friend. Uh, so, so I said the text dot commercial about speeding seems like a message for Craig. I, hey, cosign. I'm right there with you. I got to do better with that, right? All right, stay tuned. Coming up, Chad and Zay. Jeff will be back with me on Monday. I'm going down to Houston for the weekend there. Do that Q&A with Mac Brown, Division I football coaches panel discussion. We'll have all of that, the recap of that, and a lot more. Thanks to our producer, Cameron Parker. I'm Craig Way. We'll see you Monday on Light the Tower on the Horn.